I'd like to invite your attention this morning to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, and verse 29. We're going to look at just one verse of Scripture as our main text this morning. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, and verse 29. And before we read the Word of God, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning giving you praise for the salvation we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, at only Him can we stand before you. Dear God, help me as I read your word and proclaim it this morning. And if there be any unconverted here today, I especially ask you to convict them even now and help us all, Lord, look to you. Lord, is our only source of life. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. The Gospel of John, chapter 1 and verse 29, we read, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Much of what is called church growth today that we often hear about many times is based upon a church or even a preacher promoting themselves or catering to people, catering to the unbelievers, much like a business does to customers. I mean, I've heard a statement made, uh, you know, in order to get young adults in church, we have to use a certain type of music to draw them and to keep them. Now, I'm not going to deal with the music part, but just the motive behind that statement is wrong. It's wrong. We've got to use something other than the gospel you're saying to draw people. That's wrong. And yet it's very common, much in the church growth, and it's not just large or mega churches. It'll be in small churches who have that attitude. Uh, too many churches today are majoring in marketing to lost people or just to people in general, like they're promoting themselves as the product, much like uh, Walmart or Target promotes themselves. We have something different we're called to do. Now, to get the context of our verse here in verse 29, I need to go back a few verses here when we're reading about John the Baptist. Verse, go back to verse 19 and we're going to read to verse 27. And, uh, and, and we read this here, beginning in verse 19. And this is the record of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are thou Elias? And he said, I am not. Are thou that prophet? And he answered, No. Then said they unto him, Who are thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? 
What sayest thou thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. And they which were sent of the Pharisees, and they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that, that prophet? John answered and said, them saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who cometh after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latchet I am not worthy to unloose. Now I don't want to go in great detail in these verses because our main focus is going to be verse 29. But the point of the matter is they were wanting to know to from John the Baptist, who are you? Just who are you? Are you Elijah or the prophet that Moses prophesied? Are you the Christ or the Messiah? And John said no. And they kept asking him. And the point is, they were wanting to know who John was. But John was not there to promote himself. John says, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. I'm here to point you to someone else whose shoe latchets I'm not worthy to unlatch it. John came to point to the Messiah, to the Christ. That was his point. And that brings us to verse 29 where John sees Jesus coming unto him. And what, is his, uh, what, is, what does John say? He said, Behold, his first words. Behold, the word behold means look. Look to this man, Jesus. Look to Jesus. Our job as a church and as Christians is not to promote ourselves, to promote our church, but it's to promote Jesus. To tell people to look to Jesus. I hope and pray that our reputation in our area is that we are a people who point to Jesus Christ. Not to ourselves. Not to promote ourselves. Because uh, many today do this. That's not the promoting the gospel. Our purpose is to point people to Jesus Christ and Him alone. Look in Acts chapter 5. In verse 42, as we look at the early church, Acts chapter 5, in verse 42, the Scripture here states, And daily in the temple, in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. He was their message, Jesus Christ. He is the sinner. I know we got a doctrinal confession. That's really good. But in the end, that whole doctrinal confession, every part of it, the sinner is Jesus Christ. And that should be our message. Regardless of what we're preaching and teaching, it all points to Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 
verses 22 and 23, or 22 through 20, 24. The Apostle Paul wrote, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks the power of God and the wisdom of God. Paul stating the Jews are always wanting a sign to prove who, that Jesus is the Christ. They, wanted, they did that during his personal ministry. And they were still asking, we want a sign. The Greeks... They were engrossed in philosophy and wisdom and, and this is what they were always debating. I mean, you can look at Acts 17 when you get a chance when Paul debates the Greek, these Greek philosophers on Mars Hill. But Paul says, our message is what? Christ crucified. A crucified Messiah. That confounds people today. I mean, you, you hear many in Islam, they, they find it repulsive that Christianity teaches that God became flesh and He died like a common criminal. That's foolishness to them. It's foolishness to much of the world. Our message, though, is that. A crucified Messiah. It's a stumbling block to those who are seeking signs of power, signs and wonders. And it's foolishness to the academics and to the, those who are seeking wisdom. But note what he said in verse 24, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, it's the power of God and the wisdom of God. This is the message we have, folks, of, of Christ crucified. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and verse 5, what does Paul state? For we preach not ourselves. Hey, we're not here to preach about ourselves. We're not here to promote how big a sanctuary we have, how beautiful a sanctuary, how big a bus ministry, all this, how big a children's ministry. So, which is common so often today. I don't care if your church runs 8 people or 8,000. This is what we're to do. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Christ. We don't preach ourselves. We are to major on preaching Jesus Christ. He is central to our message. I had a... Uh, pastor friend who's gone to be with the Lord who uh, this was many years ago he started a a, a, a mission over in Cushata, Louisiana now if you don't know where Cushata's at some of y'all may know that's a little south of Bossier City Shreveport area and I, I believe they were meeting in a just meeting in a house and he did like many do you know you go you kind of just your area, he goes around and just does a little canvassing, I'm assuming. He's put, you know, giving out business cards and little flyers letting you know, hey, we're starting a church. You're inviting, invited. And he says, one lady said to him, well, what kind of 
you know, ministry would you have for my children and programs you have? And he said, yeah, I remember what he said. He said, I, I told her, lady, I don't even have a church building yet. All I got is this right here, the Word of God. And in the end, it, when it boils down to this, it's the Word of God. And of course, central in the message of the Word is Jesus Christ. Going back to John 1, those verses after verse 29, I want you to notice what John the Baptist states here in verses 30 through 36. When he says, when he made that statement, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world, he states in verse 30, This is he of whom I said, After me cometh the man which is preferred before me. For he was before me, and I knew him not but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bear record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, upon whom thou see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost, and I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Again, the next day after John stood and two of his and two of his disciples, and looking unto Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And by the way, it mentions verse 37, and they went and followed Jesus. John wasn't John the Baptist wasn't promoting himself. He says, this is the one that I've been talking about. This is the one. He talks about his baptism. And he says, I bear record that this man is the Son of God. This term Son of God is just another reference to God in the flesh. This is God incarnate I'm pointing you to. And he pointed them but to him. And they, these two disciples went and followed Jesus. John wasn't jealous. Matter of fact, you, if you, I'm not going to go there, but in John chapter 3, verses 28 and th through 30, he states, I must decrease and he must increase. He knew that his ministry was coming to end. His purpose had been fulfilled. He was a humble man, pointing people to Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And that's who we're declaring when we talk about Jesus and Him crucified. He is the promised Messiah. He is the Son of God. As the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith states, this about Jesus, He is the Son of God, the second person in the Holy Trinity, being very and eternal God, the brightness of the Father's glory, of one substance and equal with Him who made the world. It continues on, very God and very man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and man. That's who we're to point to, my friends. That's who I hope that we as Christians and we as a church always point to Jesus Christ. And never to get prideful, but be like John and be humble and say, I want you to behold the Lamb of God. Behold Him. And that brings me to my second point. He not only said, Behold, look to this Jesus. He calls Him the Lamb of God. 
Now this phrase, which is, we're, we're, we've got used to it, but just imagine if you were in, all, in, in this time amongst these Jews hearing this. The Lamb of God is an Old Testament phrase. And he's pointing to Jesus. He says, this is the Lamb of God. What does that mean? Well, I believe it's referring to two things. Number one, he's referring back to the Passover Lamb. The Apostle Paul stated in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 that Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Now I think if you've been brought up in church, you know about the Passover lamb. It's described in Exodus 12 that the Jews, Israel, that they were uh, slaves in Egypt. And Moses had spoke to the Pharaoh. God sent plagues upon Egypt. And Pharaoh's heart became hard and he would not listen. And then one final plague was going to come. The worst of them all. But God told Moses there in Exodus 12 to call for the elders of Israel and to select lambs and kill these lambs and put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And when I, God Almighty, passes through Egypt, I'm going to strike the firstborn of Egypt. But when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That blood of the Passover lamb on your doors will protect you from my wrath that I'm bringing on Egypt. My friends, Jesus is our Passover lamb. When you were converted, covered by the blood of Jesus. We remember, you know, in the Lord's Supper, once a month when we take it, that it's by His blood that we have been redeemed. And we now look at that term, you know, when, he, when I see the blood, we sing that hymn, I will pass over you, that the blood of Jesus protects us from the judgment of God that will fall upon all unbelievers, all who refuse to repent. He is our Passover lamb. He is also, that term, the lamb of God, also has to refer back to the daily sacrifices that were offered. In Exodus chapter 29, Exodus chapter 29, uh, verses 38 and 39, it states, Now this is that which thou shalt offer upon the altar. Two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. The one lamb thou shalt offer in the morning, and the other lamb thou shalt offer at evening. Under the Old Testament law, two lambs were offered daily. One in the morning and one in the evening. And this was continually done every day. One in the morning, one in the day, in the evening. And yet, it was never complete under the Old Testament sacrifice. It had to continually be done. It all was pointing, however, to Jesus. That's why the writer of Hebrews states in Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10 Verses 11 
and 12. He states, And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering, uh, offering oft times the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. They never could take away the sins. These sacrifices couldn't. That's why they had to continually be offered over and over again. But then verse 12, But this man, he's referring to Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down on the right hand of God. Jesus' sacrifice, which these daily sacrifices pointed to, he is the Lamb of God made one perfect sacrifice upon the cross. And he sat, he has risen, and he sat down at the right hand of God, and there's no other sacrifice that can be offered. He is, he made the perfect one, the one that these sacrifices all pointed to. You know, it's beautiful when you read in Revelation chapter 5, where it shows the saints of God gathered around the throne, and what are they singing? Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. That means I'm unworthy, folks. I'm unworthy. I don't deserve heaven. You don't deserve heaven. But Jesus, the Lamb of God, made the perfect sacrifice. He's our Passover Lamb that protects us from the judgment of God. He is the one who takes away our sins permanently. Wipes them away. Greater than those Daily sacrifices that had to continually be offered, they're done away with. They're all fulfilled. Praise the Lord. That's why Matthew Henry stated, the ground of hope we have is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. That's why we're always pointing to Jesus and not ourselves. Not to good works. Not promoting anything but Him. It's, this is the message the world needs to hear today. And if you do not know Christ today, I urge you, look to Him. Look to Him, my friends. And the last phrase here, going back to John chapter 1, verse 29, He's the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And I still get an Old Testament flavor here. Because think back to the Old Testament sacrifice the Passover lamb, the daily sacrifices. Those sacrifices were offered for one people, God's elect people, Israel. Didn't do the Philistines any good, or the Egyptians, or the Amalekites. It was offered only for the elect people of Israel. But when you get to John's Gospel, this is why I love John, you get a a universal flavor to it. That something, we see a change here. He's go, he's, he, in John's Gospel, which many have said that like Matthew's Gospel is oriented toward Jewish people. Mark's Gospel is oriented toward, it's believed, Romans. And Luke's Gospel, uh, Greeks. But John's Gospel is often called, it's for universal. It's universal in the sense it's, he's, he's speaking to all people of the world. That's why you read in John chapter 3, verse 16, which Brother Chris uh, mentioned this morning in Catechism. What does it say? For God so loved the world 
Then you go to John chapter 4 and verse 42, when the Samaritan woman that Jesus spoke to and uh, she, I mean, she, she came to know Jesus. She told others. And these other Samaritans believed. It states in verse 41. Uh, and then verse 42. And what did they say to the woman? Now we believe. Not because of thy saying, for we have heard himself, him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. These are Samaritans. These outcasts of Israel who are saying, we believe in Him as our Savior, the Savior of the world. Not just the Jewish Messiah. And then you go to John chapter 12 and verse 32 where Jesus says, and if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me or all people unto me if I be lifted up signifying how he would die upon the cross now he's not speaking of some universalism that everybody's going to get saved or every single individual is going to be saved he's not referring to some sort of general atonement here it means that the new covenant is not limited to one certain group as Israel the Jews, but it's been expanded to include all nations and ethnicities. Christianity is not a white man's religion or any other group. One of the most beautiful verses of Scripture in the Bible is, I believe, is Revelation chapter 7 in verses 9 and 10. And John sees a vision here. It says, After this I beheld and lo a great multitude which no man could number of all nations, kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Let me just stop there for a minute. He says, I saw a great multitude that included what? All nations and kindreds. This means he was seeing people who were of different nationalities gathered around the throne gathered here before the throne and what were they singing in verse 10 and cried with a loud voice saying salvation to our god which sitteth upon the throne and unto the lamb jesus has an elect people that he died for from all nations and ethnicities that he has redeemed upon the cross uh and my friends, that's a message that the world needs to hear. The Canons of Dart, perhaps the oldest Reformed confession, one of the oldest, says it is the promise of the gospel that whoever believes in Christ crucified shall not perish but have eternal life. The promise together with the command to repent and believe are to be announced and declared without differentiation or discrimination to all nations and people to whom God in His good pleasure sends the gospel. That's the message. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's a message that this world needs to hear. That all people need to hear. As a church and as Christians, I'll state again, 
We're not here to promote ourselves. We're here to point to Jesus, the Lamb of God. John Calvin stated, because He alone takes away the sin of the world, He therefore leaves no other refuge for sinners than to flee to Christ. There's no other refuge if you're here today and lost. If you're trusting in your good works and saying, I've been a pretty good person. No, that's not going to get you there. I believe in God. That's not going to get you there. The devils believe that. I urge you. I beg you if you're unsaved. Don't delay. Turn from your sin. Stop trusting in your works. Stop trusting in your righteousness. Flee to Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, for salvation. Believe upon Him today. And my friends, you will be saved. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the message, this great message of Christ crucified that we're called to declare to this lost world. And help us as Christians to always remember that wherever we're at, that we're representing Jesus and that we're to declare this message and to live this message to, that others may see you. If there are any here today, whether here in this sanctuary or they're watching it through the, through the video cast of this. Oh Lord, I pray that You will convict them of their need of salvation to turn from unbelief, to turn from looking to their own works and to look to Christ crucified who died on the cross for sinners and has risen and is the right hand of God, and is the only salvation for people. Oh, praise be to you. Praise be to our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. In His name I pray. Amen.